Well, thank you again for being here. The Lord appreciates it. I appreciate it. I want to do something a little bit uh, out of the ordinary, if you don't mind, if you'll indulge me. How many here have ever heard of Robert C. Chapman? Probably not very many. Probably not very many. But he was a, a Bible expositor. He was a preacher. He was a street preacher. Uh, he authored uh, a, few, a few books. And uh, he was also a hymn writer. Now, uh, the, the, the authors are not mentioned in our book, but I bet if you look to our hymn book, you might find a few of his hymns. He was born in 1803 and went to be with the Lord. And I don't say that lightly. He went to be with the Lord in 1902. So he lived a full life, amen? And why am I mentioning this person? Well, he seemed to have come out of a time when there were giants among us. Uh, not to say that we don't have some exceptional uh, Bible teachers, preachers, and pastors today, but that era of the early 1800s going into the turn of the century, there seemed to be such giants. And, you, and, and we know that by the books that they've written and the legacy that they've left behind. But I, I want to read something that he wrote. It won't take very long, but I do want to read it. And in order to read this, and for you to understand it, I would like for you to take your Bible in hand. And if you don't have to hold it up, but take it in hand. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew. So if you've, if you've come here without a Bible, then take that Bible in hand. Because I, when I read this, I want it to mean something to you. So let me start here. I've read this once quite a few years ago. And it made an impression on at least one young man here. And he wanted me to transcribe it in his Bible, like I have it in mine. But anyway, Robert C. Chapman. He says, this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It involves the highest responsibility. It rewards the greatest labor, and it condemns all who trifle with its sacred contents. Robert C. Chapman. He also wrote this. He said, many preach Christ. Few live Christ. So I wanted to start that. You can open up your Bibles now. Uh, I want us to look at a portion of Scripture found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is a, a, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 10. So if you don't mind, please stand up in respect to God's word as I read it, as you read along with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 
beginning with verse number 1. And I believe that in here somewhere is a New Year's Day year message for us. So let's begin. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness of knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, Lord, we've been singing about how great you are and how wonderful you are and the fact that you sent your beloved son to die on our behalf. And now, Lord, as we open up your word, we desire to to glean many truths from this passage of scripture, Lord. We thank you for each and every soul that is here today. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit truly open our eyes, penetrate our hearts, and just lift us up, Lord, to a place where we can see, even in our seats right now, we can see the heavenly places. Lord, again, we thank you for this time. Blessed to those who are here, and Lord, those who could not be here, we just ask for a special blessing upon them too. We ask these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. And why did I say that this is a, a message for New Year's? Well, I believe it is because many of you have come out of 2023 in different ways. Some of you have said, well, last year was a great year for me. You know, my finances increased. I, I had no health problems. Um, my relationships with everyone was just wonderful. So 2023 was a great year. And I hope 2024 will be the same. But some of you have said, well, you know, 2023 was a horrible year. Horrible year. My finances were shredded. My health was <clears throat> at the lowest point that I've ever had it. My relationships with family has just deteriorated. And I just pray that 2024 will be better. Have both of you, have both of these points of view uh, hit your heart? I, it's probably true. Uh, so is there a lesson for us in these verses? Every time we open up God's word, there's a lesson for you and I. Amen? Uh, so there is a lesson here, but only as we are willing 
to open up our eyes and hearts and minds to what Paul is saying here in these 10 verses. Uh, Let's start by looking at verse number one. He says, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Well, he's speaking here of the grace of God, which really means the gospel of salvation. That is the grace of God extended to you and I. It is, it is his salvation. And it says here uh, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Well, how can someone receive God's grace in vain? Well, it could be that maybe you hear the word of truth, you hear a salvation message preached, and you ignore it. You don't accept it. You say, well, not for me today. But also, receiving the grace of God in vain could also mean, and I don't think I'm reading too much into this, could also mean that you have, who have tasted that the Lord is gracious and received his grace, what are you doing about it? Where, where is your walk today? Uh, do not live an empty life. You've received and tasted that the Lord is good, and you've, you've gotten all of his benefits, including eternal life in heaven, but what are you living today for? So that, that puts you in the same uh, category, almost, as one who has rejected the grace of God. You've accepted it, and yes, you're saved, and I believe in unconditional eternal salvation, uh, but so many receive that grace and just live their life in vain, in emptiness. They live an empty life for the Lord. For he saith, and this is verse number two, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee, which means to help thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, why wait? You know, so many people, they hear a gospel message. Maybe you're here today, and you're, and you're hearing a gospel message. And I don't think it was for the first time. If you're here today, you're probably not hearing the message for the first time. But you're saying, wait. I will wait on the message. Well, you know, this might be your last chance. You don't know what the next breath is guaranteed to you. You don't know that tomorrow might be a better day. There is no, the Bible says there is no better day to accept the grace of God, the gospel of salvation, than when you hear it, when the Holy Ghost is pressing in upon you. So it says here, today is the accepted time. Uh, let me ask you, we, we live in a, in a gambling town, don't we not? There's gambling. I mean, I'm not a gambler, and I, and I never was tempted to gamble. I work too hard for my money to give it to the house. And that's what you do when you're gambling. You're giving your money to the house. Uh, but why would you be gambling with eternity? And that's what you're doing by not accepting the message of salvation. Right here and now, right here and now, you're gambling that you'll have tomorrow. You're gambling that you'll have next year. It's not guaranteed to you. Whether you're young, I see some young people here, whether you're young, or about to go through the door of death. We don't even know when that's going to happen. Don't gamble with eternity. Uh, and look at verse number three now. 
giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. You know, it's so important. And we all have a ministry. Don't think that as a believer, your ministry ends uh, either here or at home. You have a ministry to everyone in all places. And what Paul is saying here to, to the church at Corinth, it says, to give no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. So it is so important that you and I as believers live a blameless life before everyone else, a blameless life before others. That's so important because we can lead others astray by the way we present ourselves. You know, we, we're called to be holy, a holy people. Uh, I think the message of holiness is not preached enough, but we are to be holy like he is holy. And how can we put out a face that the Lord wants us to if we're doing things that shame the Lord, that shame his church, that shame the, the actual uh, message that we're trying to give out? So we need to be very careful. And Paul says here, giving no offense in anything, in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. Paul was very, very conscious of the fact that he was being watched. You're being watched. You may not think you're being watched. We don't do anything in the shadows, really. Uh, we know that God is watching us at all times, but we are watching each other. And to our well, I wouldn't say benefit. We're judging you. We shouldn't be judging in that matter, but uh, sometimes we do judge. Look at verse number four. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. Paul is now giving a very personal an open account of what his life was like. And we know by reading these epistles, we have a good idea of what Paul suffered. Amen? Uh, so Paul here is beginning to reveal his soul to you and I. You know, we, we live lives of such close closeness, and we clench ourselves and don't want to reveal and sometimes that's okay not to reveal your inner thoughts because you're going to get into trouble. But many times we are afraid to open up. We are afraid to say, Jesus, I love you. How great thou art. Thank you, sister, for singing that hymn. We're afraid to, to show one another uh, our love for the Lord. And I could be guilty of that. I'm kind of a laid-back kind of fellow. Uh, but I don't want to be like that when it comes to the Lord. So uh, Paul is beginning to open up his soul, and he's beginning to, to reveal things. So he's giving us uh, uh, an open and personal view of his life, both physical, and we're going to see that here, both physical, his physical experiences and his spiritual experiences. You know, our life is made up of things that are seen and things that are unseen. We go through things and, well, things, are, things that are seen, well, that's easy. But what about things that are unseen? 
You know, uh, we, we have three enemies, right? We have ourselves, the world, and Satan. These are the unseen things. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. <clears throat> Sometimes the world presses in upon us so much that we find it hard to resist. And of course, the devil is a great reader of, of you and I. He reads us. Uh, we may not even have to say something like saying, well, you know, I was almost tempted to do this, and I, this was really a... You don't even have to say that. He reads you. You know, it's like uh, getting back to the casinos. They, people read cards, or they read each other, if you're bluffing or not. Satan reads you, and he's very good at it. So we, we fight against those things that are seen in our lives and those things that are unseen. And then he says in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, and in watchings, in fastings. So Paul's life, as we begin to read that, we realize Paul's life was not a life of ease and comfort. By comparison, you and I are living a very comfortable life, aren't we? I mean, by comparison. Some of you are going through deep waters right now. But by comparison... We don't compare it to what Paul was going through. And Paul didn't compare it to what our Lord went through. Right? Paul suffered greatly. Our Lord suffered not only physically, but also spiritually. The, the many years that he spent on this scene. So when he begins to, to tell us in stripes, meaning the, the beatings that he got, and imprisonments, we know that he was in prison, and the prisons in those days were not very pleasant. Uh, he was in prison once in, as, at his home, but even then uh, he was very limited. In tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Well, through all of these things, Paul not only survived all of these things that he's going through, but his ministry actually flourished. Four prison epistles were written that we have. Uh, that's a great feat, thinking about how the conditions that Paul was in. He was able to write four prison epistles that we have for us today. Uh, so he not only survived, he flourished. His ministry flourished. And sometimes I think that just because someone is going through hard times, let's say a new, a new pastor is going through some hard times, you know, a lot of things, negative, negative, negative things go through his mind. Am I really called to do this? How come there's not the response that I'd like to get? And a person can, can get down, especially a pastor, a new pastor, because he hasn't been through all the ups and downs that some of the older pastors have been. And they know they know that things have a way of being cyclical. So you may have a church that's flourishing, and then maybe you hit, a, you hit a time when there's a lull. But Paul's ministry flourished in the worst of times. We would consider them the worst of times. Look at verse number 6. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost by love unfeigned. Uh, you know, Paul's life can only be lived 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. He could not have accomplished what he did, what he had done in his own strength. You and I, if we undertake to do something for the Lord, can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if someone is functioning outside of the purview of the Holy Spirit, he's not accomplishing much. And, and the little he is accomplishing is not bearing the fruit that the Lord would want that person to bear. So, but Paul, Paul here, he's, it, you know, Paul is saying here that uh, everything he did he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, his epistles, most of the New Testament, written by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Paul was an instrument. Just like when you write something, you need an instrument. Paul was the instrument of God through the Holy Spirit to write his epistles. He doesn't take credit for it. He gives credit to God. When you and I do something in our own power, don't take credit for it. Don't take You can't take credit for it. You're doing it in your own power. People can do a lot of good things in this world uh, aside from the Holy Spirit. You see, you know, billionaires giving millions of dollars to charities. Well, that's good. That's good. But every time you feed someone, that person is going to die eventually. And if he dies without eternal life, he's died lost forever. So when he says here that he does it in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we know that Paul is being sincere. Paul is being sincere because at the end of that, he says, by love unfeigned. That word unfeigned means hypocritical. Paul wasn't a hypocrite. So when he was doing things, he wasn't doing it for his own self-gain. He wasn't doing it so that he could have the high place. He wasn't doing it to be seen. So many people today, they want to have the high part. They want to be, you know, like the, the big one in the, in the church or in any organization. No, Paul didn't want that. And by his life, we see that he didn't even strive for that. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. That was his motto. To live is Christ. To die is gain. But he had a genuine love. By love and fame means a genuine love. And he proved it by his actions. How can you tell someone that you love them and then mistreat them? You can't. You can't tell somebody constantly, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then turn around and mistreat them Every time you get an opportunity. No, that's not love. That's love feigned, fake love. So when we see that, when Paul is saying, uh, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, we know that by his life he meant it. By the word of truth. Well, you're holding the word of truth in your hand right now. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Well, this really simply means that preaching the gospel in God's power, not in my power, not in your power. Uh, I, I remember one time when my sister, who was not saved and 
I'm still not sure she's saved even today. She's my oldest sister by about two years. And this was a long time ago. And she came to visit us. She was living in California. We were living in New Jersey. And my wife and I were trying to deliver to her the gospel, the need of salvation. And there was such resistance from her that I had to excuse myself, go into the bathroom, get on my knees and pray. Because I felt that there was such resistance to my wife and I trying to share the gospel that I needed to remove myself from that situation and pray to the Lord. Uh, circumstances has not permitted her, I think in, even till this day, I'm not sure about her salvation. So I, I pray, I, I, I pray for her even right now and, and even today. So when it says there, uh, by the right, by the armor of righteousness, not our righteousness, by the right hand and the left. I'm thinking here of by the right hand is the sword, the left hand is the shield. So he's talking about the righteousness of Christ with the sword and with the shield. Right? We, we get that in Ephesians too. So we know that uh, we're to be well armed when we go out because we're in a battle. We're in warfare. It's called Christian warfare. It's not just a hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. It's true life warfare, and you and I are involved in it. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Um, and now look at this. From verses 8 to 10, there seem to be some paradox. You know what a paradox is? A paradox is simply truths that seem to contradict each other. So you know, we know that one truth cannot contradict another truth. But when they seem to be doing that, we call that a paradox. And we seem to have some paradoxes in these next three verses. So let's read them. He says, by honor and dishonor. Now he's talking about his ministry and his life. And, and this is how he's uh, talking to us about his life. He says here, by honor and dishonor, by evil reports and good report, as deceivers and yet true. So you see, when you're involved in ministry, and we have a, a few men here who have been pastors, and they know this is true, that even when you're doing good, it could be conceived or perceived as evil. Today, we live in a world where we don't know what good is. We don't know what evil is. You and I may know it, but the world, society, has lost sight of what's right. So they call good evil and evil good. But here, Paul is saying by honor and dishonor. So when he was doing something honorable, someone would probably call him up short and say, that's dishonoring to God. And if you were a Jew espousing Jesus as God, in their mind, you were dishonoring. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. So an evil report, believers are, are spoken of, and you see this a lot in today's society. Believers are spoken of as good in some circles, but evil in other circles. I mean, if you're against 
homosexuality, you're evil. If you're against abortion, you're evil. If you're against transsexualism, you're evil. If you say something that someone doesn't like, you're evil. Even though you're espousing the God's truth from his holy word. So this is what Paul had to endure by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true. So again, believers, you and I are spoken of in one breath as good and then by others evil because of the views that you and I hold in this holy book. And now look at verse number nine. It says here, as, as unknown and yet well known. You know, we may not be well known in this life. Many of us aren't well known. But we're known of God. And, and that is important. Not to be known in this world, but to be known of God. So that's what he's saying, as unknown and yet well known. You know, Paul, I, I guess, had a, a pretty good following in his day. He would go into an area and, and they would say, oh, that's, that's Paul. That's Paul, a disciple of Jesus. He actually met Jesus on, on the road to Damascus, right? He had, a, he had a personal encounter with the Lord. So he was known to them, but unknown to many others. But what was important to Paul was that he was known of God. That's what's important for you and I, that God knows us. God knows us as his child, that we have professed him as our Lord and Savior. That's what God the Father wants. He doesn't want you to take his son's sacrifice on the cross in vain, where it's empty, doesn't mean anything to you. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live. You know, Paul faced death many times. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if you have faced death sometime in your life. Uh, and you may not have even realized that your life was in jeopardy. You know, if you've ever been on the operating table for any reason, even something simple, your life was in jeopardy. I don't want to scare you. I don't want to scare anybody who's facing that. But anytime they... You know, that anesthesiologist comes and puts you out. And he's hoping he, he can revive you. Let's be honest. So you may have faced death, even leaving, even leaving this parking lot, making a turn here. You could be facing death. You may have, by the grace of God, been able to avoid that. So Paul is here saying, as dying and behold, we live. So that could also mean as dying to the things of the world. It could mean actual physical death. But we know that physical death is not the end. There is something beyond this physical realm. And when we go through that door of death, I'm hoping the Lord comes before that happens for any of us here. But if we have to go through that door of death, we know there's something else better on the other side. So that's why he said, as dying, yet we live. So we, we're facing death, but we're going to live. 
to those who are trusting in the Lord forever with the Lord in heaven. For those who have not trusted in the Lord, sorry to say, you have an eternity apart from God, eternity in hell, burning where the fire does not quench. That's not the right eternity. That's not the eternity God died for. He died for you to spend eternity with him. As chastened and not killed. Again, Paul was beaten many, many times, yet he was not killed. May have felt like he was going to die, but he did not die. But he was beaten many, many times. And when he finally did die, it was to eternal life. He died to this world, and yet he lived to be with his Lord, his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say that Paul had a life well lived. Amen? So let's step back for a moment and take a look at our own lives. Can we say of ourselves, we've lived a life well lived? Think about that. Think about all the times you should have done something, but you didn't. Something that you didn't share the gospels. Maybe that you didn't share that cold cup of water that we're supposed to. And that cold cup of water is just a, a symbol of something else, isn't it? it? It could be a symbol of giving the gospel out. It could be a symbol of aiding someone who is in dire straits, in dire need. That's a life well lived. Paul had a life well lived because he lived it for the Lord. Didn't live it unto himself. So many times we live our lives for ourselves. And then sometimes we even become very magnanimous. We say, I'm not living for my, I'm living for my family. I'm living for my children. Well, that's very noble to say that and to think that. But if you live for Christ, all these other things are going to be taken care of. Live for Christ and your relationship with your spouse and your children, your grandchildren will all be better than doing it of yourself. All right. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as chastened and not killed. Then verse number 10, we'll end there, right on time. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So again, this might have been a rough year for some of you. Paul had some rough years, but he's saying here, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. So you don't need a lot of money to make someone else rich. Giving of yourself, of what you know, of what you've learned, that you can pass that on to someone, that's making them rich. Amen? As poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. It's Christ that lives in me. So this is the legacy or part of the legacy that Paul has been leaving, has left for us. Uh, what a legacy that Paul is left. But think about what your legacy is going to be. What are you going to leave behind? You know, and as I get older, those thoughts... You know, 
invade my mind? What am I going to leave behind? Uh, you know, as we, I'm not near 80 yet, but I'm pushing forward to 80. Some of you are already here. Praise the Lord. Uh, my wife doesn't like me to give out my age because, but uh, she's 20 years younger than me. Well, that was a fib. That was a fib. But Paul has left us with a great legacy. And he did it not for himself, but for others. What are we leaving in our wake? You know, you throw a pebble in a, in a pond and it leaves a wake. A boat goes by in the ocean, leaves a wake. What, and, and that's already gone. When our life is gone, what's going to be the memory that we have? And more than the memory, what are we truly leaving behind? Are we leaving behind another soul? Or is everyone we come in contact with just someone we pass by in the street making no impact upon their life? Only a life, and I'll leave, end with this, only a life lived in Christ for Christ, through Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, has any lasting meaning. Any, any life lived for Christ, through Christ, and for Christ has great meaning, has great meaning. So I leave you with this as we close. Don't let this new year go by. No matter how bad or how good 2023 was, don't let this new year go by without making a lasting impact <clears throat> on someone else in your life. Whether it's the gospel, which is first and foremost, to share the gospel. Or maybe it is to take up some small ministry within the church. Pray about things like that. We're all servants for the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants us to be.